Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. We're back in the beginning again. Chapter 9. Well, actually, we're going to pick up in verse 15 of chapter 8. That's where we stopped when they left the ark. So today's lesson is the change. This is where they leave the ark after the flood and start to experience the world changed from the way that it was before. Several things that we do know for a fact by uh, ice core samples and geological records, uh, the earth had more oxygen. Now, people will look at things in the Bible and think, oh, that's a fairy tale because people used to live you know, 700 years old. and But immediately after the flood, that starts changing. So things happened in the flood. Whatever cataclysm caused the flood changed the environment of the earth, changed the atmosphere of the earth, which made it harder on our bodies, which is why lifespans decreased. You will see that their lifespans got shorter and shorter. It didn't happen instantly, but it decreased as the atmosphere depleted. And one thing that we know by fact for science, it's very simple because you can go back in the ice core samples or in amber samples where atmosphere bubbles are trapped from way back and you can see that the earth had more oxygen. That alone can account for most of what we see because if the body has more oxygen, viruses and bacteria can't survive. The body has a mechanism that can fight it. Funguses won't survive in the body. There are mechanisms in the body now, and this is interesting because you're going to see as we read, as they get off the ark, God starts giving them new instructions. One of the things that he tells them is that now you can eat meat. From creation, man was never given permission to eat meat. After the flood, he says, now you can eat meat, but I'm going to put a fear of man in the animals. That's a protection for them. Because before the flood, all wild animals were like domestic animals. They had no fear of people. That's not hard to imagine if you've ever been to like a state park where no animal can be hunted and you see how tame they get pretty quickly. When animals are not hunted, they have no fear of people. But once they were being hunted, there would be a fear so that they could kind of not go extinct because they had enough sense to run from the people. Interesting thing, that if you increase the oxygen level, your body doesn't actually need hardly any food to run. 90% of the, the energy that you use would come from oxygen if you raise the oxygen level just 10%. And only 10% would come from food. Therefore, you would run optimally with just a few fruits and vegetables and be okay. But after the flood, there needed to be some supplementing because you didn't have that energy strength anymore. If you increase the oxygen, and you can go on YouTube and just research you know, what if the earth had more oxygen? And these are not Christian, you know, researchers, but it's just telling you the earth used to have oxygen and this is how it would affect the body. They might have one. They might. I don't know. I've never heard, but I have come across many in the secular scope that really makes it make a lot of sense. Just that alone, depletion of oxygen, whatever happened that broke up the fountains of the deep also messed up the atmosphere and you lost the vapor veil, you lost a lot of that oxygen. If you have more oxygen, your body is stronger. Animals can grow bigger, 
So this is interesting. As big as dinosaurs got, you know, big giant Brontosauruses and Brachiosauruses, and if we had some toddlers, they could probably give us a lot of names. Their nostril and lung capacity was no larger than a horse. That tells you that that animal lived in an environment that was oxygen rich because it could not be supported by our current environment. So the dinosaurs die out because the oxygen, the world can no longer sustain that level of mass. That's, that's why a lot of these people you see, they look like they're never going to die. Barometric oxygen chambers. Athletes will use it because it repairs. If you get in a, in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, it will um, repair brain injuries. Yeah, the, a lot of your super elite have their bedrooms set up to be hyperbaric oxygen chambers so that while they're sleeping, they're experiencing um, these old environments. No. But you have, you would be stronger, you would be faster, you would be smarter, you would live longer, you would eat less. So what could you not do? You think about, you know, it talked about how God said that there's nothing that's impossible for them. Think about you. If you could be stronger, smarter, faster, live longer, but have the energy you did when you were 12, 13, 14 years old, I mean, you could build some pyramids, man. You could, <laughs> you could build some Tower of Babels. You could, you could do a lot of stuff. So the world that was before the flood was very different from the world that was after the flood, but there was also a gradual depletion of all of this. It's a known fact, even now, that the less you eat, the slower you age. For example, when they started cloning, many of you might remember Dolly the sheep, when they cloned Dolly the sheep. They had a problem when they cloned that since they started with old genetics, the sheep was aging very rapidly. So to prevent her from dying before they could get all their publicity, they, they limited her diet. Because the less you eat, the longer you live. It's very, very hard for the body to process food because it was never designed to primarily run on food. That was always designed to be just a backup. You will notice the people that live the longest or are the healthiest are usually like your Mediterranean people that just eat a little grilled meat, fish, and vegetables. They don't eat heavy foods. And the people that have a lot of health issues are people that continuously snack throughout the day. Their organs wear out because your body's not designed to continuously have to process food. You wear your organs out. In the body, there are processes for making energy. Glucose goes through a 20-step process that provides two units of energy. That energy that the glucose is transformed into is called a pyruvate. The pyruvate goes through an eight-step process that produces 36 units of energy. So one process is a 20-step produces two units of energy. The other process in the body is only eight steps, produces 36 units of energy. Why is the last one so much more efficient than the first one? The last one uses oxygen, the first one uses food. If the body has oxygen, it very much more efficiently and easily produces energy. If it's doing it through food, it's very inefficient, and it's a strain on the system. It's kind of a backup emergency system. It was not in creation meant to be the primary source. So you can see how all of this caused the lifespan to decrease and cause a lot of the problems that you see. 
And honestly, this has been continuously happening since the flood. This is why every generation is less healthy and less smart than the generation before. They might tell you, oh, we're living longer now than we ever have. No, I'm sorry. My great-grandparents lived longer than my grandparents. My grandparents lived longer than my parents likely will. My parents will likely live longer than I will, going by health trends now. This is a decreasing factor here. This is not, you know, we're living longer. That's, that's not how it's going to, unless we make it to the millennium, because then that changes everything. There's another shift. So all of this translates to pre-flood, more strength, clearer thinking, better everything. So knowing that, a little tip, guard your lungs. Try to get more oxygen, and you will be healthier. You will live longer. Okay. So after the flood, the um, oxygen levels did not deplete instantly. This was a gradual thing. That's why through the Bible we see reduced lifespans. We see God ordaining dietary changes. Now we need to eat meat to maintain our energy. This also makes it make more sense that on the ark, they didn't have to store that much food. Because the, the atmosphere and environment was still like it was pre-flood. So if they got most of their energy from the oxygen in the atmosphere and not that much through food, then you really didn't need all that cargo on the ark. It wouldn't have taken that much to feed them or the animals. And also, even to replant the fields after the ark landed because it was a slow dis, you know, drying up of the oxygen. So fields with smaller yields could have easily sustained what was needed. Now, one thing that I find interesting, biblically we know that there was a place way into uh, history after the flood that seemed to hold on to elements of this environment longer than any other place. Canaan. Because we know that by the time the Israelites are getting out of Egypt and back into Canaan, there's still giants in the land, and there's still giant vegetation. So it's interesting that this place that seems to have held on to this environment the longest is also the first place that's going to regain it after the next shift. When Jesus comes back, you know, the Bible tells us that in Canaan, which is where Israel is now, the lion will eat grass again. Okay, so this tells us that most of your carnivorous animals now pre-flood were not carnivorous. Same thing as us. The Bible says that those who live in, in Israel, in New Jerusalem, that if they die at 100 years old, they'll be considered babes. So they will live long again. It also says that the earth will crack open. Just like in the flood, it says the fountains of the deep came up. At Jerusalem, there's going to be an earthquake. The earth will crack open. The fountains of the deep will come up and a mighty river will flow through Israel. Now, it won't cause a flood then because there's going to be such a drought in the earth that will, it'll actually be a blessing. But I find it interesting that the last place we see these, these attributes in the environment in Scripture is Canaan. And then that's the first place we see it return. I just wanted to give a little bit of kind of scientific imagery and background to kind of prop this up before we start reading things um, because people like to say, you know, well, the Bible's just fairy tales and it's ridiculous and none of that makes sense. No, 
it makes a lot of sense when you look at the science behind it, it actually makes more sense than a lot of what we call science. So starting in verse 15, the world has shifted, the flood has ended, they're beginning to leave the ark into a world that is changed and changing. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee, bearing forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Remember what the original covenant was to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. So here we see the whole earth was corrupted. The whole earth was destroyed. Now they emerge again with a second chance and we get a covenant reboot. And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. And every beast and every creeping thing and every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kind went forth out of the ark. So this is important, after their kind. So that means two cats, two feline kind, and then all of your felines come from those two cats. So our two canine kind, and then all of your canines come from those two. So they didn't have to have every, they didn't have to have two lions, two um, leopards, two tigers, two, they just had to have two cats. And then after that kind, they reproduced and, cre and all the other animals come from it. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The first action that Noah makes in this new world, getting off the ark, the first thing he does is to build an altar. He gives an offering of thanksgiving in this new world. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Here we're starting to move into what is known as the Noahic covenant. God makes a covenant with Noah, with the animals, with the earth, and with everyone who comes from Noah. So this covenant affects us, and it affects the animals, and it affects the earth. It's referred to as the everlasting covenant. It's a very important covenant. There are ordinances to this covenant. Most people will teach that it's unconditional. That's not true because scripture clearly tells us uh, later on that man in the end breaks the ordinances of the everlasting covenant, and that's what causes the wrath of God to come upon the earth again. But God keeps his promise. He will not do it by flood. He said, never again will I bring a flood to destroy all flesh. He will do it by fire next time. That way he can be more uh, discriminate. There's always a way to save the innocent in the fire as opposed to the flood. 
But this is important to note, that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest, so your seasons will continue. There will be cold and heat. There will be winter and summer. There will be day and night. It will not cease as long as the earth remains. Now that's important too, because there is a point at which Scripture says that the heavens and the earth will pass away. So that makes that part null and void. But as long as the earth remains, he's never going to allow this, what happened here, to happen again. Chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish of the sea. Into your hands are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So in the beginning, it was only the green herb that man was given. After the flood, he gives meat and the green herb. And he also puts, like we said, the fear of man into animals so that they would you know, run from you and not just walk to their death. Which means that before the flood, they did not have that fear. Well, that's why you can just say, come on, man, let's go in that ark, you know? Right. And, and honestly, if you look back, yeah. you can find um, in the stonework, in the stone art, and in the pictograms on buildings, uh, very clear imagery of people plowing fields with dinosaurs. Like you can, and we showed this one time when we did a, a little study on dinosaurs, people riding things that looked like T-Rexes. There was no fear of man. And there was not that need for that carnivorous. Now, there were things that were done that God did not do, that the fallen did, because it said that the land had been filled with violence. So they were doing violent things, but it was not originally created. What God created originally did not eat meat, it was not violent, and it was not scared of people. Which, again, we talk about the first sacrifices that Cain made and Abel made. Abel was a raiser of sheep, that sacrifice was more sacrificial than we would even realize because they weren't used to killing things. They didn't eat meat. They might have kept it for wool. They might have maybe drank milk, but more than anything, that would have been raised almost like a pet because, you know, they knew these animals. So that was very sacrificial. But after the flood, they have to start eating meat. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood, Therefore shall ye not eat. And y'all can look it up if y'all want, but I've looked it up before, at least in other texts. The word translated to life here in the Hebrew is nefesh. Nefesh is the Hebrew word for soul. So what it's actually saying is that the flesh with the soul thereof, the soul is in the blood. Therefore you shall not eat. Do not consume blood because this animal's soul is in it. That's why in witchcraft and Satanism, they always involve the drinking of blood because it's part of their magic to consume that animal's soul, to make them more animalistic or to take on the characteristic of whatever it is they're consuming or people or whatever. That's why they torture and torment people and then consume blood. The Bible is very against the consumption of blood, so no blood Buddha. Don't consume blood. Besides the fact that God says no and there are spiritual implications, it's very dangerous. 
It is not healthy at all. Get you some mad cow disease and see how that goes. So it's, it's not safe. Let's just say it like that. And in the New Testament, because a lot of people are like, oh, that's all. That is reaffirmed and confirmed in the New Testament again. No, it's not safe. It's not healthy. Um, there are spiritual implications. And it's very, very, very prominent in all manner of witchcraft. So that shows you that they know that there is power in this. They're doing it for a reason. So don't do it. It's just not good. It says that the life is in the blood. The soul is in the blood. Let the blood pour out on the ground. And surely your blood of your life will I require at the hands of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of every man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of a man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So the order was given that if an animal killed a human, that animal was to be put to death. And if a man or a person killed a human, that person was to be put to death. So like the blood, even like uh, Cain Abel, when he goes to brother, is it the blood cried out? The soul cried out from the ground, right? It was in the blood, right? The soul is in the blood. That's why Jesus had to pour out his blood to save our soul because the atonement had to be through blood because it was a soul for a soul. The soul is what sinned against God, the mind, the will, and the emotion. So that's what was required in the payment, a soul for a soul. It was in the blood. That's why his blood atones for the sin of our blood. It's in the blood. His was pure. The, the sacrifice, that's why they sacrificed animals and poured out their blood. It was a substitute for yours because the sin was in the blood. It was the will, the mind, the will, and the emotion that made the choice to sin against God. Therefore, was the penalty of the law on the soul, on the blood. So the animal that was innocent died in place of it, but it was only a substitution, a covering. It would not take away the sin. Jesus pours out his blood to make a permanent atonement for us, a soul for a soul. And you be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. God will always judge murder and man was not allowed to endorse it. Even if a person didn't commit the murder, in this covenant, they were still um, required to enact the penalty. In other words, if a person murdered a man, then they were still under obligation to put that murderer to death. And if they didn't do it, then there was a guilt on them as well. So... I, I make these points because in the end, judgment comes again because man does not keep the ordinances of this covenant. So, for example, things like abortion or breaking the ordinance of this covenant because babies are being murdered and men are letting men get away with it and not stopping it. The blood of the man is not being atoned for. In the end, the Bible talks about the Antichrist's army even using beasts. Christians being thrown to lions. That's breaking an ordinance because it said if an animal killed a man, it was to be put to death. So not only is the sin on the person who commits murder or the animal, but the sin is on the person that allows it to happen without enforcing the ordinance. 
violence, wars, unless you are truly intentionally defending a person's life, then most wars, people are going out to fight for oil and money and power and, and land. That's murder. And if you do that, you're breaking the ordinance. These are all things that are bringing about the end. And that's going to increase with the Antichrist as government to a point where God's going to have to, to judge it. This is point two. The last thing he said in those ordinances, after it said no murdering, no animals killing, the last thing he says is be fruitful and multiply. So what is the last big push? So we have abortion that breaks it. We have violence and war and murder that breaks it. The last big push that stands in direct defiance of this ordinance is homosexuality. You cannot be fruitful and multiply if you're in homosexuality. That's why their logo is the rainbow, because God gave the rainbow in this covenant as a promise that he wouldn't destroy the earth by flood again. So in pride, which is also their logos, um, the enemy has convinced them, do it, God can't judge you for it. But that's not what the Bible says. It says he won't destroy by flood. Sodom and Gomorrah, which was guilty of the sin of homosexuality, God showed them how he would destroy it next time in hellfire and brimstone. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament that it happened to Sodom and Gomorrah for an example for those who would later live ungodly. In Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5, there's a prophetic warning about what will happen in the end before the return of Jesus. It says, The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse, the same curse that devoured the earth in the flood, therefore has the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. So they break the ordinances, the judgment returns, but not by flood, by fire this time. God keeps his word, we just don't keep ours. Verse 8, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. So this covenant was with Noah and with everyone that came from Noah. So who is that? Everybody. Us. And with every living creature. So all of the and This covenant is even with the animals. That is with you and of fowls, and of cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, for all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of my covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. That means forever. So this covenant is still in effect today. This covenant affects us because we are from his seed and it said for perpetual generations, this covenant will still be in effect. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that a bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, 
and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant. What does that say? The everlasting covenant. I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon all the earth. So in Isaiah 24, verse 5, what did it say? They broke the ordinances of the everlasting covenant. And that's why the curse returns again in the end. That's one of the ways that you know that the final wrath of God that comes on the earth is the exact same event that caused Noah's flood. It's just that last time there was a vapor veil and there was water, so it caused floods. Now all that's already used up, so it's going to be atmospheric. It's going to be fire. It's going to literally be hellfire and brimstone. It's going to be a global Sodom and Gomorrah. God gave it as a warning. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Sham and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And we're going to stop there because the next section is another story. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.